0: This episode is brought to you through the generous donations of a listener, Kevin. Thanks to listeners like Kevin, I'm able to keep this podcast going. I also want to thank my sponsor, Royal Commercial Equipment. Royal Commercial Equipment is a commercial refrigeration company based here in Portland, Oregon. That is British-owned, which is partially why they're backing me, but also is run by my parents, which I think is the real reason they're backing me. So I thought I should give them a plug, you know, unless I really wanted to get in trouble. So if you're located in Portland, Oregon, and you have any needs for commercial refrigeration, such as you're running a hotel, or a supermarket, or a restaurant, and you need walk-in coolers, freezers, ice machines, that sort of thing, please give them a call. Finally, I'd like to welcome our newest member, David. Members will be getting special members-only content, which is actually what we're going to be dealing with today. You see, it's my birthday this weekend. So, I'm not going to have as much time to devote to the podcast as I normally would. Consequently, this is going to be a shorter episode, and to make up for that, I thought you might like a preview of what I'm putting together for the members. As you might know, my plan has been to put together a series of shorter podcasts on bits of interest that we haven't fully discussed and provide them to members. These won't be as long as the primary podcast, because I only have so much time, Uh, but the idea is that I'll give you some background that was cut out when I did the main podcast. I'll cover history and whatnot, but I also might review some historical films, probably not The Eagle, uh, but you know, maybe, uh, maybe some other historical films. I might answer some of your questions, that sort of thing. Basically, I'm figuring this out as I go along, and so you'll have to let me know what you'd like to see, what you don't like, that sort of thing. Anyway, let's get started. And to begin with, we're going to do a series on early origins. So, welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie. Around 1000 BC, a group of people living in central continental Europe, the area saturated by the Rhine, Rhône, and Danube, had mastered the forging of iron weapons. And with this enormous advantage on their side, they surged out in all directions, capturing massive tracts of land in Europe. They were to become the first Transalpine civilization in recorded history. At the height of their expansion, which was the third century BC, their reach went as far west as Ireland and as far east as Turkey. They were occupying Belgium, and at the same time, they were also in Spain and the Po Valley they were in southern Poland, Russia, and the Ukraine. To the Greeks who first encountered them in the 6th century BC, they were known as the Keltoi, or the Galatei, or the Gali. To the Romans, they were known as Gallic, and their heartland was Gaul. Today, we simply know them as the Celts. Now at the height of their expansion, the Celts would have been most famous for their military prowess. That's pretty obvious, considering that it was their martial abilities that enabled them to expand. And on a military level, it's hard to overstate the impact the Celts had upon their neighbors. The Greeks, the Etruscans, the Romans, everyone feared the might of the Celts. And those who did not soon learned the error of their ways. In 475 BC, the Celts defeated the Etruscans and seized the Po Valley. In 390 BC, the Romans underestimated the strength of the Celts and were badly bloodied. In fact, Rome itself was occupied for seven months, and this event so traumatized the Romans that until Hannibal came along, the threat of another Celtic invasion was the primary boogeyman that haunted their dreams. Even the Greeks were not safe from Celtic wrath. In 279 BC, they were defeated and Delphi was sacked. The Celts were the consummate warriors of their time, and the strength and fame of these warriors did not readily diminish. In fact, for much of their history, even after the fall of their homeland, they were still highly prized as mercenaries. The Greeks hired Celtic units, as did the pharaohs of Egypt. A major portion of Hannibal's army were Celtic soldiers. Cleopatra had an elite bodyguard of 300 Celtic warriors. And once Rome conquered Gaul, the Celts even served in Roman auxiliary units. But simply because they were talented and feared warriors, it does not mean that they were one-dimensional. They were also skilled farmers, knowledgeable in medicine, talented in art, and prolific road builders. In fact, it was the Celts who first built roads through the forests of Europe. These were an intelligent and sophisticated people. They studied and developed advanced calendars, studied astronomy, and even the Greeks, who were often regarded as pioneers in philosophy, had borrowed philosophical concepts from the Celts. But if they were so smart, where are the books? Where are the scrolls? Well, according to Caesar, the early Celts were prohibited from writing things down in their own language due to their religious doctrines. In fact, it really wasn't until the rise of Christianity in Ireland that we start to see Celtic writing in force. And once the floodgates opened, it was overwhelming, making Irish one of the three literary languages in Europe at the time, following Greek and Latin. And by the way, the Celts and their languages are not dead. In fact, the languages of the Goidelic Celts live on in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man where they speak Irish, Gaelic, and Manx, respectively. And the languages of the Brythonic Celts survive in Wales, the Cornish Peninsula, and Brittany, speaking Welsh, Cornish, and Breton. So let's talk about some of the history of these people, now that we've had a quick overview. It was the Greeks who coined the term Celtoi in the beginning of the 6th century to describe the group of people that had already spread through much of Europe. According to Herodotus... It was Caleus, a merchant who was driven off course by a storm, who first encountered a rich silver mining culture, which he referred to as the Keltoi in southern Spain. The Keltoi referred to silver as Arganto, and their king, Arganthonios, potentially a nickname or a title considering the similarity between his name and the word for silver, made a treaty with the focus of central Greece and traded silver with them. A question that has long persisted is: Did they call themselves Celts or Celtoi, or was that simply a word that the Greeks labeled them with? Well, if Julius Caesar is to be believed, he says that quote, in their own language they are called Celts, in our tongue Gauls. End quote. So, if Caesar is to be trusted, at least a portion of them referred to themselves as Celts. Nearly six hundred years later. But it's really hard to say. Maybe they just adopted the Greek name and kept it. Much like Britain is a derivation of the Greek label, Britannicae. And it does seem like Keltoi was something of a generalized term for the broad racial group that inherited much of Europe. And the name wasn't even uniform. By the 3rd century BC, the name morphed into Galatians. As in, the Galatians in the Bible. You know, you know the Epistle Paul, the Galatians. That Galatians? Over time, another term began to be used as well: Galley, as in Gaul. So here's where things get a bit sticky. The tribes form different groups, and while it's possible that the Greeks encounter different groups that use different names Celtoi, Galatians, etc., it's a fool's errand to try and distinguish groups and separate Celts from Galatians. At least as far as the Greeks were concerned, they were one big racial group regardless of what the Celts themselves might have thought. But the names we're talking about here, while they might have been altered for the Greek language, largely came from the Celtic people themselves. At least, that's what we currently believe. After all, in Spain we found Celtium, Celtis, Celticus, the name Celtilos, and the tribal group, the Celtici. We see the same thing with Galli in Irish texts. And there were Irish tribes, such as the Galanes, which used the root word in their names. And maybe these Galanes were some of the early Celtic invaders. After all, the Galanes were fighting for Canoct at one point, but the texts that speak about their service for Canoct mentions how they are distinguished from the other Irish units and alludes to their foreignness. There are also references in those same texts to diplomatic and trade relationships with a people known as the Gaul. The end result is that when we read of the Celts, or the Galatians, or the Gaul, or the Galli, we're almost certainly reading of the same racial group. Not necessarily the same tribes, but the same general group. So that raises a question of, you know, why did they call themselves the Celts? At least some of them must have called themselves the Celts, and now we call all of them the Celts. So what does the name Celt mean? Well, that's a controversial topic. Some argue that the name originates from the root quell, meaning raised or elevated. We see traces of that in Latin, Lithuanian, and Old Irish. And so some believe that the Celts were calling themselves the noble or the exalted. Some look to the root "kel," meaning to strike, which survives in Latin, kello, and Lithuanian, "kalti," But with the exception of Old Irish we're seeing a marked lack of Celtic derivations. And that alone makes this suggestion seem unlikely to me. If the Celts originally meant those who strike, I would imagine that we'd see more indications of that in modern Celtic languages. So it seems a little bit unlikely to me. But there's another meaning for the root Kel among languages in that region, hidden. And that survives in both Old Irish, Kelim, and Old Welsh, Kelaf. Maybe the Celts were the hidden people, or the secret people. They certainly had a number of secrets. The religion seemed to be rather preoccupied with stamping out writing, which could have been to protect their secrets. So maybe that's it. Or maybe it's something else entirely different. Unfortunately, it's quite likely that we'll never know for sure. As for the shift from Celtoi to Galatians... Galatian flows from the Greek root meaning milk-white, Galatea, and the Greeks were somewhat fixated with the pale skin of the Celts following the sack of Delphi. Later, Appianos of Alexandria, who was writing in 160 AD, tried to explain the two names by saying that there were two brothers, Celtos and Galas, who were the sons of a Cyclops and his wife, Galatea. And thus, the offspring of that Cyclopean Union were known as the Galatians. And you know, that's a pretty reasonable explanation, so I'm sure that's exactly what happened. Frankly, I think there's a good chance that the source of the name change was simply a mix of racism and a bit of arrogance. And the name was something of a slur created by an angry Greek population. Something like Whitey, basically. So, back to the main thrust of this episode, Celtic Origins. Beginning with Hecateus, who lived in the 5th century BC, we start to see documentary evidence of the Celts. And from the archaeological record, it seems that they first appeared in the headwaters of the Danube, Rhine, and Rhone. Basically, southwest Germany and Switzerland. When you think about it, this was prior to any of the great beers, sausages, and cheeses of the area, so I can't really blame them for wanting to leave for greener pastures. But the interesting thing about this is that the names of the area, including the names for the rivers Rhine and Rhone, are Celtic in origin. Dr. Henry Hubert, who wrote The Excellent History of the Celtic People, argued that the fact that the Celtic names have persisted to modern times is indicative that they were indigenous to begin with. And many other historians have taken similar stances, basically arguing that the names were aboriginal. Within the Celtic culture, there really were two main periods that are recognized, although there are, of course, sub-periods. The first was the Hallstatt culture, which went from about 1200 BC to about 475 BC. This was a fully developed Iron Age culture. The culture derives its name from a lake in Upper Austria, where the culture was first discovered. Within Celtic Hallstatt digs, we find geometric art, elaborate mound and barrow burials, some of which contained wagons and chariots, in fact, and this is significant. It indicates that not only were they technologically sophisticated enough to develop wagons and chariots, but they also would have had equally impressive knowledge of road building. They were skilled at smelting iron, as well as other metals, which gave them a significant edge over their neighbors. Eventually, the Hallstatt period ended, and the second of the two large categories of Celtic culture emerged the La Tène culture, named after the region in Switzerland where it was discovered. The La Tène era stretched from the 5th century BC to about the 1st century BC, and was marked by more ornate artwork and the development of faster two-wheeled war chariots. The Celts of this period were skilled farmers, and their economy was a mix of pastoral and agricultural work. They developed irrigation systems, such as the one we see in the Po Valley, and we see significant advancements in their engineering ability, especially in the areas of transportation. They became skilled miners, extracted gold, silver, tin, lead, iron, and salt, which was very important for the period, from mines throughout Europe. The Celts of this period were some of the best craftsmen in the world, manufacturing beautiful tools, artwork, weapons, jewelry, And these people were also not insular. Rather, they were actively engaged with the rest of the world, trading with their neighbors in Greece and Italy and the areas around there. But it wasn't all wine and roses. They were also fractured. This wasn't a single Celtic nation. Rather, they were tribal in nature. And while they would sometimes unite against a common foe, such as the Romans, they were also prone to fighting amongst themselves. These tribes were ruled over by kings, but the kings didn't rule the entire region. They might have had as many as 200,000 men at some periods in time, but I would imagine that the numbers would be closer to 20,000 or less. Now, some historians believe that there were also kings who reigned over multiple tribes, which is entirely possible. We see in history, under numerous circumstances, that there sometimes are the kings of kings. So that might have also happened. Now, by the 4th century BC, we start to see something that is quite important for archaeology. Carefully weighted coins made out of gold, silver, and bronze. Presumably, the Celtic people picked this practice up from their contact with the Greeks. But it indicates that now the culture and the economy was at least partially in a coin-based trading economy. And records of the time indicate that the Celts of this period, the Latin period, were living incredibly well for their time. The standard of living had improved dramatically, and they were at the height of their culture. In fact, this period was the point of maximum expansion for the Celts. They were in Britain, Spain, the Ukraine, Germany, France, northern Italy. They were in Belgium, which still holds the old Celtic name, Belgae. They were in Bohemia, named after the Celtic tribe that occupied it, the Boi. They were in Greece. They were in Turkey. Their warriors were fighting with the pharaohs of Egypt, the kings of the Seleucid. They served Herod the Great and Hannibal of Carthage. They were everywhere. The history of the Celts is not one of Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. It is the history of the first great power to rise in Europe. It is a true European history, and any tales of the region and its neighbors must first begin with a discussion of this remarkable group of people. So as this series continues, I'll try to shed light on the one-dimensional caricature that was painted for us by Caesar, and find the flesh-and-blood people that were the source of the myths. Okay, we're going to stop right there. If you're interested in hearing more, I'm going to be working on this in tandem with the main podcast. I'm going to be releasing it probably every other week. They're going to be short episodes, but uh, we're going to follow the Celts, and then after that I think I'm going to work on the Picts or the early Scots, and you know, really get into some of the, the background. Interspersed with that, depending on what's going on. I might go and instead of releasing a Celtic episode, I might review a ridiculous historical film I saw or talk about some of my favorite books to read on the subjects that we've been discussing. Uh, I might answer some questions. One of the most popular questions that's being asked currently is what my background is, and I might answer that. So that's what's going to be going on in the Members Only Podcast. So I hope you enjoyed this sneak preview. And I'm going to be uh, working on the next one here shortly. Next week, we're going to pick up with the Antonine Wall and get back into our main story. And as for me, I'm going to take some time off because, you know, it's my birthday. So I hope everybody has a good weekend. And as always, if you want to discuss this podcast or have any questions, comments, concerns, you can head over to facebook.com slash British History or go to thebritishhistorypodcast.com or email me directly at thebritishhistorypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.